Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette, and I'm really excited to have another wonderful guest here today who's joining us to talk about navigating an EDD and a higher education career as a first-gen Latina. Our guest today is Jacqueline Banegas Abreu, and she is the Associate Director of the Community College Transfer Opportunity Program at New York University. She has worked in numerous areas of student support, transition, and providing greater access to higher ed institutions. She's skilled in student success and pipeline programs, student counseling, curriculum development, and program evaluation. She has an MA in higher ed administration, student affairs, and a bachelor's of science in marketing management and organizational behavior. She's also, as we mentioned, kind of hinted in the title of today's episode, she's pursuing her doctorate in leadership and innovation from NYU with a focus on the transitional experience of community college students into private four-year universities. And of course, Jackie herself is a first-gen Latina. She is also a mom to three kids to talk yes. <laughs> and, and she hopes to continue um, with providing impact to her community through her narratives and her experiences. So welcome, 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 Jackie. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Yay, I'm happy to have you on today. Um, I would love for you to get us started by telling us a little bit more about your backstory. So who you are, where you're from, <laughs> like everything that led to you and your, your journey to where you are today in your program and in your career and in your personal life. So whatever you're comfortable sharing. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you know, I, I think it's so important to really talk about my foundation and it's my family. I, uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I'm a child of immigrants. So my parents are from Honduras. My parents immigrated here from Honduras back in the 70s. I am the third child out of four. I'm the middle child. So for those of you who are middle children, you know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I am one of them. <laughs> So I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And, you know, of course, my parents wanted the best for us. And with that, I went through parochial school because my parents thought that was the best option for us at the time, even though we were low income. And at the moment, we that's all we knew, right? That Catholic school was the best option. And I went to Catholic school all my life until I got to NYU for my higher education. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my mom was like, that's the only option. And you are going to major in business. It's either business, lawyer, or doctor. Choose one of those three options. I was not a fan of blood. <laughs> um, I knew I can argue my way through things, but I didn't think law school was an option for me at the time. And 
my sister at the time was doing very well in advertising. So I was like, all right, let's do marketing. I think that's a great option for me. Went to the Stern School of Business and I was admitted through the Opportunity Program, but didn't realize Opportunity Program was an alternative admissions program, right? So I scored not the greatest in my SATs. Again, these were things that I didn't know about. I just thought I was a straight A student all through my life. I thought I was doing very well, but I didn't understand the discrepancies of why my SATs didn't really correlate with my grades at the time. However, being through OP, NYU was a, really a rude awakening for me. I didn't feel like I belonged in the classroom. I was the only Latina in my class. And then when I was part of the opportunity programs, I felt like I belonged because I had a community that looked like me. Going through my undergraduate career, I felt like I couldn't navigate that. I was like, I felt like I didn't belong. Business was not for me. Who can help guide me? I didn't find an interest, but this was something practical because my mom told me, you need a job that's gonna earn you an income when you graduate. This is what you need. You need a career, but that was not my passion. That was not my passion. I needed something that was going to make me light up. And I knew it was working with people. I fast forward to my degree. I added management because I had a dean at the Stern School of Business. I was like, hey, listen, we need to get you out of marketing. You're almost done, but I think you're really good at management. Let's just add that double major because you're almost done. Graduated and my GPA was getting so much better. But because I was doing, I did so poorly my first two years, I just needed to add that double major and really figure that out for myself. So once I graduated my bachelor's, I didn't think graduate school was an option for me because my GPA was not competitive. There was no postgraduate career for me. There was just no like, okay, let's try corporate America. Hated it. And I remember one of my sisters telling me, listen, just get a job at NYU. Just get a job at NYU to you figure out what you want to do with your life, right? And being that whole, what am I going to do? I had other classmates of mine who were getting offers through their internships who had 3.9 GPAs, who had sign-on bonuses at Morgan Stanley and BlackRock and all these top firms. And I felt lost. I felt like, okay, I failed at this moment of my life, a 21-year-old. And these are narratives we hear from first-gen students. Thank right? you so and, much for sharing. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And, we, we do and we don't talk about it, And we don't talk about this enough, right? That I failed. I'm 21. I let my family down. How do I tell my mom this? And I remember my mom telling me one time when I was studying for an accounting test at my dinner table at three in the morning, she came with a cup of coffee and she said, Jackie, your GPA will not be on your degree. On your diploma, I'm not going to see your GPA. Graduate, cross that finish line. Where's her counseling degree? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she was just like, just do it, Miha. Just do Aww. it. And that's what I needed. I just needed to hear my mom say that because I felt like she had this high expectation of me, but it was me telling myself that my mom was depending on me and had this high expectation of me. Once I heard those words, I was like, all right, I just need to graduate. But then after that, once hearing my sister, like just get a job and just figure out life, I ended up working for the Dean's office. And that's really where my career took off in higher education, not realizing that I was starting off at the Dean of Students office thinking it was just a job to figure out my life. When in reality, that's where it was the beginning of my higher education career. Wow. So this was right out, out of undergrad. You got a job. This was before grad school. 
and that set you off on, on that trajectory. Correct, correct. Wow. And so I, um, I, there's so much to, to, to your backstory, <laughs> but I'm wondering, like, at what point did you realize, like, this is what I want to do? Was it in that role or was it um, transitioning to something else? Like, how did you know, like, I want to stay in higher ed and I want this to become my career. And then also there was, an, there, you know, there was that point. And also, like, at what point did you realize, I think I want to go for a doctorate, too? So, yeah, so I was in the Dean of Students office for six years. Um, in that role, I was his assistant. So I was doing his scheduling. I did connect. I networked a lot. So uh, being his assistant, you become like the gatekeeper, really. Right. So you you meet with faculty, you meet with other assistants across the university. OK, this is what students don't know, just by the way. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Right. Um, so you I, and and sometimes people diminish that. Right. So like even when you're working for the dean, you create insights, like unofficial mm -hmm. transferable skills, right? Those transferable skills you gain. So sometimes that title of, of administrative assistant don't knock the hustle like that's a role that you gain so much experience i was planning conferences i was being part of of search committees i was you know like so many award ceremonies all these things that i was a part of supporting the dean i was again network mm -hmm. you know how they're saying like network is your network to this day there's so many people that i met in that role that i still connect to until this day so in those six years, one of the things that I came across was that the students that I often saw were students that looked like me. Students that needed to navigate the system at the university that didn't know how to find the information, that didn't know what resources to, to utilize to navigate the university, financial aid, bursar, registrar, how to withdraw from classes. Academic Standards Committee were under that student affairs office. Um, there was just so many different facets in that office that we were taking care of. So I started saying like, okay, why is this still the same? They're having similar experiences that I had when I was an undergraduate student that I just recently graduated from. Um, I was the one that was like triaging before they met with the dean. So I was helping them get information. During that time, I also had my twin daughters. So I also knew that I had to have a stable job to provide for my daughters at the time. So I wasn't even thinking about graduate school, but my kryptonite was my GPA. So funny story, the dean also had another assistant that was like the main front person. And it was a bet. She said, hey, I'm taking, you know, a non-matric course. Let's apply to graduate school. And I'm like, I'm not going to apply to graduate school. So shout out to, you know, who you are, if you're Aww. listening to this podcast. <laughs> and she's like, listen, the application is due in two weeks. I think you should apply. And I'm like, girl, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. Have you seen my GPA? I'm not going to get it. She's like, I think you should apply. And if we get in, if we don't get in, then that's fine. But if we get in, you owe me lunch. And I'm like, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> Long story short, she's like, just get your ass together. And Dean started writing recommendations for me left and I. They're like, Jack, you totally get in. I got in. And when I got in, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And my daughters were two years old at the time. And I finished my program in a year and a half. And wow. that's when I knew that 
and I graduated. And mind you, I, I was pregnant with my son at the time as well. And I graduated with a 3.9 GPA from my master's program. And that's when I knew that it was like my full 360 moment that I was my redemption for my undergrad career mm. that I'm not done. Like there's nothing wrong with me that maybe my high school or my elementary school did not prepare me for my undergraduate you know, career that it was due to the lack of resources. Yes. And I learned that in my master program, right? And it was not my parents' fault. And I think about my dad painting my high school to lower my tuition because he thought that was the best education he was giving me. And I get nostalgic thinking about that because he thought that was the best when in reality it wasn't because of the fact that it was the assumption it was the best education when it wasn't because of where I lived, because of the lack of resources we had in our communities. And that's still the narrative we see today. I'm from Brooklyn and New York City. There are certain schools that there's not enough science classes, there's not enough teachers, there's not enough prep courses, right? There's language barriers for parents, right? There's all these things that limit us from pursuing higher education or education in general. So there was nothing wrong with me. It's just, I had the lack of resources. So my master's program was my redemption. And I think about it. So that's where I'm at today. And I could be here all day, but I'm just like, I needed that and I did it. I just needed the resources to do it. So I tell my friend all the time, I just, anytime I'm doing something great, I send her a message. I'm like, I'm here because of you. Aww. Like that bet, that bet. <laughs> I, still owe her, I still owe her lunch because what's crazy is that it's not crazy, it's purposeful. She didn't start the program. She actually got a, a job somewhere else and she never even started her master's program. It was just that she was there because I just feel like it was purpose. And she, mm. I just needed that push to, to do my program. And I really think it was, I needed that. You know, a lot of people would have said, you know what? I proved everyone wrong, including myself. I got with that 3.9. That's my redemption story. I'm good. I'm going to move on up in my career, take that master's and, and keep going um, in my higher ed career. What, um, what for you were some of the reasons why you decided to pursue an EDD? You know, what, what were kind of the, the advantages and, and kind of opportunities that were brought up by, by pursuing that? <laughs> yeah, I thought after my master, I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I did it all. That's all I needed to do. Um, so I finished my master's in 2014. And... I thought I was done. I, was, I said, you know, I had my son in 2012. I said, great. And I worked for the opportunity program. And then I had this amazing opportunity to work for CC Top, also known as the Community College Transfer Opportunity Program. I transitioned into this role in 2019. And it's an amazing program. Can you tell us a little bit more about yes. that experience? Yeah. I yes. think there's a lot of people who are curious about what it would be like to work in those types of programs. Yeah. Yeah. So CC Top was founded over 32 years ago. And this program, really the goal is to promote accessible opportunities from our local area community colleges into NYU. 
So we have 14 partner community colleges within the New York City um, tri-state area. We also work with two community colleges in New Jersey and one in Connecticut. And our goal is really to build strong collaborations to create this pipeline for community college students to know that private institutions like NYU is accessible to them. So we promote like pre-transfer evaluations. We have transitional support services. We have orientation, transitional seminars to really make sure that with these transitional support services, they are successful and they will successfully graduate from NYU and beyond, right? And to know that we want to increase that rate that students are not only going to public institutions, that private institutions are also available to them. And because we know that there's only 5% of students going into private institutions. So we do want to increase that rate. We want to make sure that they know it's possible, that they are capable, that community colleges do in fact prepare them for private institutions like NYU. When they get to NYU, they are thriving. They're doing well. They, their faculty at the community colleges are preparing them. So we wanted to demystify that for them. So coming into this role, NYU is totally committed for the student population. So coming into this role, I was like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing program. I started doing my own research and I'm like, why are we not talking about this more? Oh. And at the time, <laughs> so, right? There, so it there it is. There it is, right? So um, I was like, why are we not talking about this more? And at the time, the Jack Ken Cook Foundation came out with their persistence report in 2019. And ironically, my mentor in graduate school was, became my supervisor. She was hired after the fact. And can you and, tell folks what Jack Ken Cook is? I'm familiar because I've had students get their scholarship, but can you yeah. tell us a little bit more? Yeah. So the Jack Ken Cook, what's interesting, more specifically, so the Jack Ken Cook provides amazing scholarship opportunities. And one specifically that they have is the community college transfer scholarship opportunity. So it's for students who do want to go, um, who are coming from the community colleges, but do want to go into private four-year institutions. And they provide an amazing scholarship where it gives you that opportunity for those of you who think that private institutions are out of reach, they do give you that scholarship opportunity so you can fund that opportunity to go to these private institutions. That is something that I tell students who are thinking about NYU. So with this, with this persistence report, it was highlighting information to say, hey, students coming from community colleges, they are amazing. They are doing well. They are graduating at higher rates than students who are coming directly from high school. They are graduating at higher rates from students transferring from four-year institutions. I'm going to need a copy what, of this. <laughs> yes, I will send it to you. And pretty much they were, they were calling to action private institutions like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> like, we need to enroll more students. So I got hired in 2019 of January. No, yeah, January 2019. This report literally came out like weeks later. Perfect timing. So when I saw this report, I was like, hmm let's do more data. And then my supervisor was like, hmm, we need to do more about this. And I started looking at numbers because in my previous role, we had to do state reports. So I was already used to do running data with our leadership and you know, our VP for enrollment management that she's big on numbers and data. We had to do a lot of reporting. That's how we are held accountable with our institutional um, research department, things like that. So that's how I really got ingrained of I'm doing research on my own. What are we doing? We need to elevate this program. We have an ethical responsibility to elevate this program. Mm -hmm. How can we do a call to action? I was already reading it on my, literally on my fun, like I call it my fun time. <laughs> and I just really started like 
delving into it and I'm like, there's work to be done. What are we doing? And then my supervisor at the time was just like, have you ever thought about pursuing your doctorate? And I'm going to be really transparent with you. Someone did tell me, you don't need a doctorate. Why? A doctorate's not necessary. So I told myself mm-hmm. that I didn't need one. But in reality, I did want one because when someone asked me, asked me that question, I cried because that meant I wanted it. Wow. But, <laughs> and in that moment, I mean, I'm a crier. So whoever knows me knows, like, check your house for everything, right? <laughs> but in me, it was just like my heart saying, no, you want this. You're just intimidated by the fact of the work that's going to come with it. And, but then also for those who do know me, knows that when I put myself to a task, I'm going to do it and I'm going to get it done Yes. (laughs) no matter what. And I was just like, and she's like, think about it, but I think you will be great at it. Like, I think you're too smart to not do it. I think you are capable. And I think this is an area that, you know, can really utilize your voice in it because you're already doing this like you're already researching on your own you're already writing because I already started you know doing conferences I was presenting at NIST you know I presented at Prepara there ready for the college board on this like building accessible pipelines from community colleges to private institutions she's like you're already doing this it's just now you can research more into it and I said okay so what happened the pandemic hit and I was like who applies to an ADD program during a pandemic? This girl right here. <laughs> and, and I was told like, it's the most competitive program. There's over 30,000 applications. You may not get in. And I said, well, if I don't get in, I don't get in, but let's make Let it happen. Let them say and, no, right? Yeah. <laughs> and 38,000 applications. And I got admitted to a cohort of 30. And here we are. It's the best cohort ever. And I love my cohort and my cohort is the best ever that can be. And the cohort model that we have, I I recommend anyone who is doing an ADD program or a PhD program, look for a program that has a cohort model because we hold each other accountable. I wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. I've met the most amazing people ever, moms, individuals, best human beings who just are people, right? We are not braggers. We're not like, I'm better than you or anything. We're just people who are supporting one another and want to be there for one another and are just great, amazing people. Like, there's just no better words to say. We're just amazing people, you know? And curious about that because I've that, heard yeah. of folks who have been in doctoral programs where it's been the opposite, where it's been a lot of toxicity, a lot of competition. And what do you think it was about your program in particular? Are you do you think it's it's the the emphasis? Do you think it's maybe because it, it it's an EDD as opposed to a PhD? Like what? Um, because this is something that's really important for folks when they're considering grad school is like, how do I find a program that's a good fit for me? How do I make sure that it's a, a safe and supportive environment? And what you're talking about, meeting these amazing people, very supportive space, you know, it's not always the case. And so I'm like, what, where, <laughs> it's like, where do we yeah. find them? <laughs> yeah. And 
I think it's what you make it to be, honestly, right. because I mean, it's our cohort, right? And and I'm sure my cohort members are going to hear this podcast because that's how supportive they are. Oh. And and I'm not sure if the other cohort is going to be like this, but for our cohort specifically, like what do we gain out of being in competition with mm-hmm. one another? Because we are in different sectors, we are in different roles, and we're not here to outbeat each other. We're here to support one another. And there's room at the table for each and every one of us. And, and if there's not room at the table for any one of us, our responsibility is to make space at that table for the person next to you. That's how our society needs to be. Mm-hmm. And when, I mean, we need to really learn from that experience because we see it enough in this world that there's so much competition and we end up hurting one another. Like I can learn, I have a friend who is in, you know, like in theater and art education. And I've learned so much from her because there's transferable skills there. And she's one of my biggest supporters. And I've only met her within a year. Right. And I wish I would have met her, you know, in my whole entire life. I, I, you know, I've met so many different people. So like, if you're in a cohort that's so competitive, really like I feel bad for you no, but, but but it shouldn't be that way because you you should be thought thinkers together you should be a group dynamic that you're in this in the long run like you can do so much together you can share notes you can share articles mm-hmm. we have people like hey I read this article here's my notes or we've had people like hey this is a final assignment can we get together in a zoom I've had times where I didn't understand an assignment. I'm like, can we get on a Zoom? Because I really need someone to help me break this down because I'm going through life, right? Mm-hmm. And we have life as a mom with three kids or having a sick family member, we're Please. able to be transparent. Like I wanted to ask happened. you about that too, because I'm just like, that's a, that's a huge decision to decide to pursue a, a doctoral program. And then on top of that, to do that in the middle of the pandemic and you're a mom with three kids and you you're you know you're accustomed to having a full-time job to pay the bills all of that so yeah you know that's that's a big decision so you know I I wonder like what went into that decision making even from like deciding between an EDD and a PhD that's something that some folks sometimes are, are are thinking about that when they're um if they're interested in a, in a career in higher ed, that's a big question that folks ask. They're the, well, do I need an, a PhD? Do I need an EDD? Which one uh, might serve me best? And uh, so I'm curious to kind of what went into that decision-making process for you because so much was going on for all of us at that time that just like, wow, like the how is what I'm curious about. <laughs> So I'm being fully transparent. I did not apply to any other program, but this one. And I did research other programs. So this is the leadership and innovation program at Steinhardt. It's a two year fast track online program. The cohort model was a big win for me, the way it's structured and the faculty that they have in play in teaching this program. And the founding faculty member was another key factor for this program for me. 
um, their research, the way they developed the curriculum was a huge win for me. Um, I went to the info sessions. I had an informational interview with one of the founding faculty members. And for go. me, yeah. that was just important to me. When I met with one of the faculty members, she took out a, like literally 20 minutes to meet with me. I'm like, this is what I'm looking for. Does it make sense? And boom, it was just like, all right, this is what I'm doing. I wanted the EDD route. I needed something more immersive. I needed something like was very intense, two years. Didn't have five years really to dedicate to a PhD program and writing and dissertation. I needed something that was more focused on a problem or practice within my organization because of CC Top, because it's something that I can solve an issue within my organization. I wanted something more practical, more hands-on. I'm a more hands-on learner. Thank you for saying that. Just because I know there are gonna be folks who are gonna be hearing you describe this and saying, that's what I want to. That's what is just so that they know that they have options. And I Correct. appreciate you, like your your backstory and your narrative for me is is so important because there are so many of us that feel non-traditional or different, or like we don't have all of the things that you might think you need to go to grad school. You don't have the GPA, you don't have the GRE score, you don't have the experience, you don't have the this so many other things. Like it's constantly that like the scarcity or the deficit kind of perspective but in actuality we bring so much to the plate to our you know to to the table that for you to say I only applied to one and I got in but you also did your homework you also did the informational interviews you also knew exactly why you were applying that's what helps you get in (laughs) no and and to be honest and I also don't want it to come off like I knew I was going to get it I didn't know I was going to get it Right. I, and I heard stories after the fact of people that I knew that got denied. I heard of stories of people that got waitlisted. And I was just like, oh, like people have like higher titles, more experience. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, and not diminishing who I am. But sometimes yeah. we're like, oh, I'm dope, right? Like, oh, like, I'm, I'm <laughs> I love that. We <laughs> need like, more affirmations like that. Yes, and we don't, and we don't do that enough. And I started yeah. learning to do that in this program, right? And you know, going back to like what made me think about that: having kids and and being a wife to an entrepreneur. Like my husband's a chef, and being a sister and being a daughter to my parents and mm-hmm. my parents rely on me like and I'm an aunt to nephews who I eat like we're a really tight-knit family like people who know it's like we're really close and we depend on each other and and I'm involved in my church community and all these things and it was just, this is something that as a family we decided on um, I'm a woman of faith this is something I prayed on um, I have a prayer wall next to me and oh. on my desk. And this is something I prayed over. And literally every semester, I'm like, all right, I need a good grade in this class. And this is something <laughs> I write about, you know? So these are yes. things that we have to affirm things. Um, as being a first-gen Latina, um, imposter syndrome literally comes up all the time. Yes, when we first started this program in our residency, we did walk, probably walk in and like, who's in this room? Um, are like, are we intimidated by each other? And we were talking about this with our cohort the other day, like, <laughs> like when did we really connect, right? And there was probably a, a pivotal moment where we started doing group work together, where we really bonded. And now we have our own group chats and then we have our own bonding moments and we have our jokes. And 
now I can see like maybe I didn't build friendships when I was in undergrad because I was the only Latina in my class mm-hmm. but I was telling my husband now these are friends I probably I didn't build in undergrad that now I can't see myself doing life without them ever again because this is some a cohort that I've now I can't get rid of them because they're just part of our lives now. And I know as cheesy as it is, Bar mm-hmm. is really unique bunch and they all bring just something to the table that I'm appreciative of this cohort. And we always say, yeah, we're the best. And I think we are, but it's just really, you really have to look for that. That's something I thrive on and I'm just grateful for. So whatever program you're looking for, if that's something important to you, I think that was just an added bonus for us. But now that I'm looking back, I can't see myself doing it without it because it just really helps. And now we're in capstone and now we're breaking off into our silos with our little groups. And <laughs> now we're just like, we're like, where's everybody going? Yeah. Like, I'm missing this person or like people are going to, you know, quantitative and qualitative and we're missing seeing some people or now you know we're going with our advisors and we're not seeing people as much and it it makes a difference right it really makes a difference so for those of you who are listening like really start researching do you want the phd route do you want the edd route are you introvert or extrovert right like what what are you looking for for me i wanted to meet with the faculty people there i wanted to see what makes sense. Meet with students. I had some students who were considering the program that I met with and I was transparent about. I still meet with current students like this is what it is. I share books with them. I'm very transparent because you again knowledge share best practices. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no why are you holding information. I sometimes students do that like let them figure it out on your own. Why? There's no competition. Here. Again, make space at the table for everyone, please. Like, come on. <laughs> Why are we doing this? We're grown. We, we can do this. Like, there's enough. There's enough for everyone. You know, like, it's like when your yeah, abuela has people at, at home. Ella son caldero, caldero de arroz for everybody. So, <laughs> you know, there's more than enough for everybody. Yeah. Caldo for everyone. <laughs> yeah. She has cafe for everybody. Cafe for everybody. It's good. That's so funny. Um, so as we as I hear you talk about the program and everything you're gaining from it, I'm also wondering, like, you know, once you complete the program, what do you hope to gain from it? How do you think it's gonna benefit you with your career and in long-term kind of personal professional goals? You know, this is something I've been thinking about. I really been thinking about. I've been at NYU for fifteen years. Wow! Literally, yeah, my yeah, my That's whole higher education yeah. yeah, my whole higher education career. Um, if my boss is here, they'd be like, "Oh gosh, what is she gonna say?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, y'all. I don't know where we're going. Um, but I really like the research. I really enjoy research. I really enjoy educational policy, and like I said earlier, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, I think the pandemic has impacted a lot of communities, um, especially for underserved communities. I think um, there's just a, a bigger need right now for educational access and for that to happen. 
I may need to be on the other side. Right. And so I think with this, there may be a shift. I don't know, maybe. And as I said earlier, I'm a woman of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that I never will deny. So wherever the wind takes me, <laughs> you know, but I think I just, I'm really, I, this program's really illuminated to me of interesting enough in undergrad, I was so intimidated by writing that this program has opened up just a curiosity for writing and research that that may be next for me and really helping the education sector or policy or higher education institutions really, how can we support? How can we promote access? How can we serve communities and not just higher education? Um, But really let's start from K through 12, right? And because it starts there, it starts there. Um, There's a big initiative with prison reform, right? on how they quantify things and really estimate how many prisons are created, right? Because of how many Black and Latinos are in existence. Yeah. When in reality, we can put those resources into education. So why don't we start there, right? So, you know, I'm going to South by Southwest um, in two weeks to talk about that and presenting with some staff there and there's just work to be done. So I, I just feel an itch there of wanting yeah. to do more research, want to do more reform in education. And so, yeah, who knows? So see where that takes you. There's so many opportunities. That's what's exciting. It's like, well, the sky's the limit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could be still at NYU, right? But I think, you know, it could still be in NYU, but I think I, I just want probably to publish more. I want to do more. Like my area of work where I'm stationed at is pipeline and access. So it's just, an opportunity even just being still there in pipeline and access is publishing more writing more researching more and our unit allows us to do that so I think there's just opportunities there that I'm just now this just after graduating is just opening my eyes more that I could do that so and you see like I smile just talking about this because I just love it I have a feeling that there will be folks listening to this podcast and thinking that, that like, I want to do that, you know, or they're probably, they might be an undergrad uh, or they're like early on in, you know, a master's program and they're thinking, well, I want to, I want a career in higher ed. And for you, it, it, you know, if, and for a lot of us, it happens this way where kind of one thing leads to the next, like you started off with one position right out of college and, and that kind of opened up that, <laughs> the doors. But what advice would you give to someone who's an undergrad who's still trying to figure life out and trying to figure, but they know they have that itch there. They're just like, I, I don't really want to like leave the higher ed setting or at least not now. Like I want to keep working here. I want to kind of make a difference in this space. Like what, you know, words of advice or encouragement that you might want to share with them? Or even like, what do you wish you had known when you were in undergrad or right after, right after you graduated, when you were thinking, oh no, did I ruin my life? Oh, like, how am I going to like figure things out? Or like, I, you know, I didn't get the the business career that my parents want. I didn't become a doctor. I didn't become a lawyer. (laughs) This is something, you know, it's interesting. Um, my graduate student is the one who suggested I sign up for this podcast. What? Uh, so, yes. 
So I'm going to shout her out. Um, so thank you for, you know, shout out to her for um, putting me on to this because she's like, I, you need to do this, right? And I think it's amazing. So someone like her, and this is something I tell her all the time, you have nothing to lose and everything mm. to gain. So if there's a role that you want to go for, go for it. You have nothing to lose. I wish I would have told myself that countless times. And there's something like where now you see now more in roles where I, I've noticed lately in roles where it says, if you made it this far in reading this job description, apply. <laughs> when I see that, I'm like, what? That's so amazing because it's true. We self-sabotage ourselves mm -hmm. so many times. And I, I even did it with this EDD program. In, in just life, why didn't I apply for graduate school earlier on, right? I probably would have had my degree, but then we could have been, would have, could have, should have. Wait, hold up, hold but, up. You're talking as a mom of twins and then went on and had a third kid. Come on now, <laughs> give yourself a break. <laughs> but, but, but hello, but this is what we do, right? Yeah. Right? And Or even like I, I saw with my own husband, like he went to culinary school at 35 mm -hmm. because he thought that he couldn't do it and started his business. Like we do this mm -hmm. so much, right? Literally the person I was laying down next to, I was like, oh, whatever. Like my old partner, right? Like I didn't push him enough to pursue his dreams, right? But I was telling students, yes, go do this. But no, we self-sabotage ourselves all the time. So if you're a graduate student or you felt like it's too late, and I tell my own CC top students that our average age of our student population is 28. We have even have grandparents in our program that came back after so many years. It's never too late. Right. It's never too late. I felt like even having twin daughters at 24 years old, I felt like my life was over. And all my friends were getting, again, bonuses and job offers and all these things. And I felt like I would never catch up. Hmm. Now I feel like I'm at the prime. And they're having kids. And I'm like, well, my daughter's going to be 16 when yeah, I'm not going to say my age. <laughs> so for, for whoever's going to do the math. Do the First math, child at 25. <laughs> so I get you. <laughs> I was like, I could still travel to Greece and I'll be fine. You know? yeah. But my your life is not over. Mm -hmm. You can do it. Go for it. If you have a 1%, like you feel like you want to do it, just do it. Apply for it apply for that scholarship, apply for that fellowship, apply for that job, apply for that graduate program, whatever it is, network. Even with me, you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, find me on LinkedIn, send me a message, do whatever it is, connect, whatever it is. There's no, no harm in doing that. Again, your network is your net worth. You just never know who you're going to come across. Do yourself a favor, you owe it to yourself care for yourself, respect yourself, love yourself, affirm yourself. Mm. I am capable. I am strong. I am this. I am that. And I don't know if you do Peloton, but I always shout out this person, Robin Arsone. <laughs> and today I was on the Peloton ride and she was like, say, I am what? I was like, I am strong. I am capable of <laughs> these things. But we don't affirm enough. Yeah. We don't affirm enough. And as a Latina, you know, sometimes we were told you have to be strong and you have to be this. And for those of you who love Encanto, the movie, let me tell you, it talks volumes to all of us right now. Oh my gosh, that, <laughs> uh, what's, that what's that song? The Surface, surface Pressure? pressure. <laughs> 
<laughs> of course it's not some <laughs> as soon as that I is- heard the lyrics I was like oh wow like I yeah you know I think a lot of us can relate to this <laughs> I was like I, I still gotta call my older sister to be like can I give this to you yeah can I get this to you? <laughs> I, I'm like reciting now like I'm a stuff as a crust of the earth <laughs> drip 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously you know this is the reality yeah. get it go for it you're dope you're amazing just do it do it do it and don't change who you are don't change you who you are I remember that don't code switch don't code switch at the table this is who I am this is oh Jackie you're too loud or Jack no this is who I am this is who I am. Mom, Jackie Benegas, Abreu. Not Jackie, Abreu. No, it's Abreu. <laughs> no. Abreu. I love that you said it because we were talking about that earlier. Yes. Yes, yes. It's Abreu. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, and this is who I am. And and people are going to love you for who you are. Mm-hmm. So just be authentically yourself. And you'll, people will enjoy that. Like, I always tell people, like, you know, when they ask in the application who you are, like, I'm like female Latina, and this is who I am. Unapologetic. Hire, yes. Hire me. And if you're not going to hire me for that, then okay. I don't want to work here. <laughs> Literally. Their loss. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, these are things that you will learn. You will learn. And, and even my graduate students that I work with, I try to mentor and you just have to support one another, make room at the table. And like, I usually tell my students like, and if you're the smartest person in the room, guess what? Change the room. (laughs) Change the room. How did I know you were going to say that? (laughs) I was waiting for it. Um, That was so good. I, I love how you said you have nothing to lose and everything to gain that is so great if if folks want to reach out to you we're getting close to wrapping up if folks want to reach out to you or connect in some way shape or form how can they reach you yeah so definitely you can connect with me on linkedin that's the best way to find me uh, by my name you can find me on linkedin i guess you can connect me on the podcast as well my LinkedIn. yeah i can put you i can i'll add your linkedin um link to my show notes yeah folks yes. can find you yes and definitely i'm sure on instagram you'll tag me there too but yes reach out to me i'm more than happy to connect with you and you can send me a message on linkedin any advice you have about the ebb process for those of you who are doing research in the community college side or whatever, feel free. I'm here from one first gen Latina to another or whatever, however you identify with, but I'm here. I'm here. And I wish I had the support, you know, navigating this journey. And there, you know, the, the percentage shows that there's not many of us in this space. Yeah. So let's stick together yeah. and let's really support one another. And that's why I'm doing this because I think, you know, any Yvette, you're doing this too. So yeah. I was about to say, this. I'm like, everything you said, I was like, that's why we do what we do. <laughs> yes. You know, you're creating this podcast and I do hope that you get a lot of traffic with this and you creating the space for 
for those who need the space and for those who are thinking about this. And if you're thinking about this, this means you want to do it. Right. And there are graduate programs that do have funding and do have fellowships and just research, research, because there's opportunities out there. So it is needed. It's needed. Well, I want to thank you. Thank you so much, Jackie, for coming on the show, for sharing your experience and your wisdom, wealth of knowledge. Absolutely. So many gems. I feel like I could yeah. quote you so many times. I don't know which one I'm going to choose. <laughs> drip, 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 drip. <laughs> for coming on the show no problem next time we'll have Lynn Manuel here until this fine. oh my gosh so I, I I'm like a, a theater nerd at heart I have a PhD in theater performance studies so like my little my theater heart is like it's fluttering right now well my friend that I was talking about she's a theater person too so she Aww. once she hears us she's gonna be like oh my gosh it's gonna go crazy. well thank you thank you once again Thank you so much for having me here. It was great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Drawing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtouring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcasts and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time.